love this podcast? Head to patreon.com slash DATC Media Company to find out how you can show your support. This podcast is sponsored by FlashCityRecords.com, your go-to destination for a musical journey like no other. Check out their wide selection of vinyl with new arrivals dropping every week. Flash City Records, where the beats never stop and the tunes keep coming. A member of the DATC Media Family. Welcome to the Much Obliged Podcast, a Yellow Balloon Experience, where we talk to and explore the world of the live music fan base who have chosen to live drug and alcohol free. Each week, we will have a new guest and have a short interview with them and lead right into their speaker meeting that they share on our Friday night speaker meetings. New episodes drop every Monday at datcmedia.com. Make sure to check us out on Facebook and our Facebook group called Much Obliged. And come on over to Instagram, where you can find us at at Junkie, J-A-H-J-U-N-K-I-E. Now on with the show. And to be told if you are willing and that promises no killing is time for show. Cut the wheel. Um probably 100 plus miles an hour. Rolled multiple times, got a gas main, a tree, and a pole. The tree stopped me from hitting a house. They had to cut me out of the car. The hearse was there, the sheriff, the state patrol. Traffic was blocked. I mean, it was uh, the guy that cut me out of the car uh, with the jaws of life. I spit in his face, you know, Mm. because I wanted to die. And I told him, get your hands off me. I'm a dead MFR. Higher power had other plans because here I am today, you know, I, I survived that uh, amazingly. And it still took me um, another, I don't know, two and a half years after that before I got sober. Hmm. I just hadn't had enough. FlashCityRecords.com is your go-to destination for a musical journey like no other. With inventory that spans genres and eras, they've got something for every taste and vibe. Check out their extensive catalog with Record Store Day exclusives, new releases, the psychedelic sounds of King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, the jam-packed energy of Fish, the funky vibes of Goose, the progressive brilliance of musical wizards Umphreys McGee, And of course, all the dead you can handle. It's a musical feast for your ears, and it's all at Flash City Records. And if that wasn't enough, they also have your favorite band apparel and collectibles too. Flash City Records believes in delivering the best customer service because, let's face it, music is more than just notes and beats. It's an experience. Their dedicated team prides themselves on making sure that every time you shop with Flash City Records, the experience is as smooth as a well-played guitar riff. And with the lightning-fast shipping, you'll have your favorite tunes at your doorstep before you can say encore. Order by 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, and your order will be shipped out within 24 hours with free shipping on all orders over $100. So whether you're searching for the classics you grew up with or exploring the latest sounds, Flash City Records is your one-stop shop. 
because your musical journey deserves nothing less. Hey, everybody. It's Benji. I'm here with your co-host, Matt. And today our guest is Lefty. Some of you may know him as Mike, but those people probably aren't listening to this podcast. Anybody listening knows him as Lefty. Hey, guys. Hey, Benji. Hey, Lefty. How's it going? Hey. Lefty, thanks, they, they can't see you give the peace sign. It's audio. Oh, <laughs> I'd do it anyway. <laughs> they can feel it. They can feel it. Well, the good news is that there's video here, so I'm going to release that as a reel. Put that on social media. <laughs> then they can see it. Oh, you're too kind. Well. Lefty, I'm uh, I'm really excited that uh, that you're here with us. Uh, last night you shared, and Monday this is going to be released uh, as the podcast. And you just celebrated 34 years of continuous recovery, and what a fucking miracle that is. And you know, people who are listening are going to be able to hear your share shortly. I just want to start off by asking you: Do you mind telling everybody why your name is Lefty? I received the name Lefty. Um, I was named Lefty by a motorcycle club by the name of Fifth Chapter. Um, when I got clean, um, I noticed these guys in, in AA wearing leather jackets and colors on their vests. And, you know, that was a, a world I knew something about. So I, I gravitated to them and they're like, what are they? And it was a group called Fifth Chapter. And they explained to me, it's from, from the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. There's a chapter in there, number five. It's called How It Works. <laughs> and... I started hanging out with them and they, they kind of adopted me. They, they gave me the name Lefty because, uh, you know, biker clubs, everybody's got nicknames. Um, Lefty was, I guess, to teach me humility, uh, but it totally had the opposite effect because it gave me an identity. <laughs> and I, it's because I'm missing an arm. I, I have my right arm is amputated and uh, I had ridden motorcycles my entire life. So it was just a, a quick move of the throttle over to the left side and running it upside down so I could use let use that while I let out the clutch and I was up and running <laughs> and it was great if I remember correctly your the motorcycle accident happened when you were sober it was a, a car wreck that I lost my arm oh, yeah it was a it was actually a, a suicide attempt I took a car as fast as it would go and cut the wheel um probably a hundred plus miles an hour, um, rolled multiple times, got a gas main, a tree, and a pole. Um, the tree stopped me from hitting a house. Um, they had to cut me out of the car. The hearse was there, the sheriff, the state patrol, traffic was blocked. I mean, it was, um, the guy that cut me out of the car, um, with the jaws of life, I spit in his face, you know, because I wanted to die. And I told him, get your hands off me. I'm a dead MFR. Higher power had other plans because here I am today. You know, I, I survived that uh, amazingly because I, it was like a terrible thing. And it still took me um, another, I don't know, two and a half years after that before I got sober. Hmm. I just hadn't had enough. Wild. I've got two really relatable things to share with you on that do you want to hear the funny one or the sad one i want to hear both okay so i'll start with the sad one and then we'll go with the the um i'll start with the sad one then we'll go with the funny one so the sad one is um i was working with a guy in the program this is probably 
14, 15 years ago or so. And um, he called, he, he, I saw him in the afternoon and he said to me, I'm, I'm done fighting. I'm, I'm sick of this shit. And I was like, okay, whatever, fuck off. You know, you don't get to be sick of the shit. Like, you know, we got to make it to tomorrow. So I called him a couple hours later and he answered and just sounded awful. And I called him a couple hours after that and he didn't answer the phone. So I called him again a couple minutes later. He didn't answer the phone. So I called a buddy of mine who lived down the block from him. I said, hey, go check on him. And he said, he's not there. And so we we drove around, went to all the normal spots. We couldn't find him. And we went back to his house. And we'd been looking around for a good hour and couldn't find him anywhere. And I was like, I'm just going to call him one more time. And I took out my cell phone and I called him. And while I was looking at my friend I saw a reflection off of his glasses of a light that was coming in through the garage. And like, I was like, what is that? And I realized that my, that the guy was sitting in his garage with, uh, with the car running and the, his phone, his cell phone ringing reflected a light off of the dash, you know, off the windshield and it reflected off of this guy's glasses, my friend's glasses that I was with. And we like, we, we panicked, you know, like, holy shit, like, we found him, but that's not good. And um, kicked in his front door, ran into the garage, opened up the garage door and pulled out the car and called 911. And um, I remember as I'm literally sitting on top of him, pulling the car out of the driveway, he looked at me and his his eyes were black and his lips were black. He was listening to the Los Lobos uh, cover of uh, the Grateful Dead song. can't remember the, the cover that they were playing. He looked at me and he said, why would you do that to me? And I said, because you're not dying today, motherfucker. And he thought I was his dad. And he was like, he was out of it. He was just like, I, I was trying to do something here. Why would you do that to me? And I was like, fuck you, man. Like, you're not dying on my watch. Um, and he, uh, he, he killed himself about a month and a half later. Um, that was fucking hard. That was a hard... That was a hard uh, uh, and unpleasant. Um, but what I took from that was that anytime somebody tells me that they're struggling, I never brush it off. It's never like, okay, whatever, you're struggling, you'll get over it. Like, you tell me that you're fucking struggling and I'm going to call you. And if you don't answer the phone, I'm going to call you again. And if you don't answer the phone, I'm going to call you a third time. And <laughs> we're going to get real fucking serious, real fucking fast. Um you know, and I I don't know, always answer the phone when people call, but I always tell people, if, if I don't answer the phone and you need me, you fucking send me a text message and say, answer the phone right now and whatever I'm doing, I'll walk away. Um, but that, just, you know, when you said you spit in that guy's face who pulled you out of that, um, you know, I think about that guy. His name was David. I think about him all the time. But um, let's move on from that. Let's Let me tell you the funny story that you made me think of. My sponsor... Uh, who's got approximately, you know, 30, 30 some odd years, uh, was in a similar position as you. He was driving down the road and he was miserable and he wanted to take out his, he wanted to take out his, himself. And um, he drank a gallon of antifreeze to try to, uh, you know, poison himself. And then he drove his car off of a cliff. Uh, it turns out that the, chemical reaction between antifreeze and alcohol both sobers you up it 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 um 
it neutralizes the alcohol, but the alcohol neutralizes the poison and the antifreeze. And so the fact that he was drunk and his liver was so saturated with alcohol, it made the antifreeze not poisonous. Um, and then after he drove his car off of a cliff, there was a tree uh, underneath the cliff and his car went into the tree. And so instead of hitting rocks at, you know, whatever impact, uh, he landed softly in the tree and his car got stuck in a tree and he had to be medevaced out uh, from the tree. And there was an article in the paper that was like, you know, drunk doctor you know, drives off a cliff and survives because he's a fucking idiot and wasn't able to kill himself properly. Um, and I, it also took him like, you know, I think 12 years to get sober after that. But uh, it's just, it's just amazing when we look at the, the attempts and, uh, and, and how they don't take and how grateful we can be afterwards that they didn't take. Well, Benji, that was like a, a turning point for me. I mean, I, I had attempted many ways, you know, I, I would walk out onto the road, uh, the highway and cars would swerve. <laughs> I jumped off of a, a, a bridge and apparently it wasn't high enough because I just landed in water and mud. <laughs> you know, it was like, so I reached the point that I couldn't live and I couldn't die. That was part of my surrender. You know, I couldn't live. I couldn't die. I'd lost everything. I lost my family. I lost my arm. You know, I was going to college because when that all happened, you know, I'm laying in the hospital after this car wreck, after this suicide attempt, my leg up in a stirrup gutted from my knee to my, uh, my groin. Um, I had an arm, but pulled the nerves out of my spine that controlled it. So I had no feeling or use. And I'm laying there in the hospital, like, what are you going to do with your life, you know? And that's when I decided, I think I'll be a drug and alcohol counselor. I kind of like that counselor I had 16 years ago in treatment. I was in recovery and I know I need to get sober. And I decided that's what I was going to do. And I got out of there and I, I found a government agency to help me go to school. I got my degree in social work. And within a few years in that very city <laughs> that this all happened that very town i'm now working in emergency services standing on top of buildings with people that want to jump off <laughs> and talking to them you know it was like a synchronicity <laughs> i think not you know it, it's um good things can come out of bad things you know it was the worst and the best in many ways it absolutely i was. I, I think lefty that those two or three stories that you've just related are um, testament to what sobriety can bring and, you know, the particular programs, whichever they are, that that get us there. You know, you, you've gone from that point to 34 years sober, you know, and I, we've all heard it before. You don't give up till the miracle happens, you know, because those first couple of years are pretty rough. And then every once in a while, or eventually, not every once in a while, because it does happen, boom, there's that miracle. And when it all clicks, it just clicks, you know, and you said, you said you, you couldn't live and you couldn't die, but it's almost like you threw up your hands and you're like, well, I might as well be fucking happy then. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Surrender. That's it. I surrendered, yeah. you know, yeah. I had to. And, and it wasn't like just everything that I had lost. I watched my best friend lose everything, you know, as I shared in, in, in my story last night, you know, I watched my friend, 
lose his family. And I wrecked both of their cars, you know, and it was, he's lost everything now. And now I'm feeling responsible, like the wake, (laughs) the wake of Mike, you know, was like ruining other people's lives now. And the barmaid said, there's a meeting down the street here tomorrow night. And I think you should go. (laughs) That was, that was God. That was, that was, you know, creator saying to me, hey, guess what? There's an answer. There's a solution. (laughs) There's a way out. And sometimes it's just that simple turn of phrase that gets that started. You know, for me, for me, it was my brother-in-law saying to me, I I was so hungover one day and he goes, not drinking today, Matt. No. So do you think it has anything to do with the fact you were double fisting all day yesterday? And, and I will remember those words ringing in my head until the day I die, because that's what it was. You know, I was slowly killing myself and I didn't know how to stop. And I, at that point, made steps to change. And it took a while. So far, I've been able to figure it out. And I just got to do that again tomorrow. And that's what we do. You know, I mean, you say 34 years like it's a big deal. You know, if you got up before I did this morning, you got more claim time than me. You know, it's a daily thing. That's all. It's a daily thing, a daily reprieve. It's a good thing I didn't get what I deserved because, you know, what I deserved was pretty bad because I, I like to think I'm a good person, but I sure didn't behave like a good person. You know, I love and I care, but I was very selfish you know, and and mean-spirited and did things that I'm, you know, not proud of at all. But I recognize that that's what we do in our disease. And today I don't have to live like that. You know, today I've I've got a, a program of spirituality that teaches me about love and kindness and a spiritual path that really, you know, all the poles in the TV go to the same place. <laughs> I could do this as a Buddhist. I could do this as a Christian. I could do this as a Jew. I could do this in so many ways. I do it as an alcoholic. I, I, when people ask me about religion, I, I just tell them, you know, I'm Jewish, Christian, Buddhist, pagan, you know, because that's kind of what I am and not that I cherry pick I I believe in the oneness and the interconnectedness of all and yes I did a few psychedelics in the 70s and maybe that opened some pathways I don't know but either way it works and it's a pathway of love pretty beautiful sounds like you're uh you're a Hindu because Hindus believe in the universal truth, right? Oh, that that's that's a universal truth that makes sense for everybody, works for everybody. Great, that's part of Hinduism now. Oh, this prophet said that, and that's the universal truth that works for everybody. Great, that's part of Hinduism now. So, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? You're like, I'll take it too. Well, I'll tell you, lis- listening to you talk, man, it's it's hard to not believe in a higher power because I mean, you just have such a succinct and uh, clear message of, of recovery. It's beautiful. So I got a fun question for you. Uh, you've been to shows and cities and meetings around the country. What's what's the the strangest thing you've seen in a meeting somewhere else? The strangest or maybe funniest thing I ever saw was when someone came up, grabbed the balloon, tore it open, and went. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. 
<laughs> and I could say, that's just my breath, man. <laughs> and he was like, so disappointed. <laughs> but he like, so went for it, you know? It was like, that's the way we got to grab recovery, you know? That's what I saw it as. It's like, grab recovery that way, you know? And take it all in. Because he did. <laughs> and it was so funny. It's amazing. But that is great. Another one, um, a guy I sponsored, um, I took to his first show, Sober. And um, his name is Rafe, right? And I said, Rafe, what are you going to do, man, if somebody passes you a joint? <laughs> and he didn't miss a beat. He said, I'm going to hand it to you, Lefty, and see what you do with it. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna use that. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. That's great. So Lefty, I, so I got another ask story. I gotta Go give you it. one more. Okay. Go for it. And I don't remember where it was, but I'm walking through the crowd, and here's this kid going doses, 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 and he got to me, and he goes, "Oh, you're that fucking morfrat." <laughs> oh, that made my day. It truly did. It was I like. Bet. I have arrived. <laughs> Thank you. So, so I got to ask you, you know, the world's a complicated place right now and there's a lot of ugly shit happening um, and a lot of divisive shit happening. And, uh, you know, I actively work every day uh, on keeping my serenity intact. What's uh, what's, what do you tell a, a dumbass like me who is struggling to keep his serenity intact? Uh what do you tell a dumbass like me who keeps trying to say the question again? Like, that was the perfect way to phrase it, right? So, uh, ha, 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 in the face of the insanity that's going on today, what's your solution? And I'm not, and, and let me repeat, I'm not asking your solution to stay sober. Your solution to be happy, joyous, and free, right? The solution for having serenity. And that's all in one. <laughs> that's all in one. If I couldn't find serenity, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be sober. Um, and not that I'm serene. 100% of, you know, every day, but more serene than not <laughs> serene. And, you know, I give the credit to that, to just be here now. Notice the coincidence, be aware, recognize the love that's all around us. Don't focus on the hate, you know, start my day out breathing and reading something that helps my attitude uh, be at a, a higher plane. Um, I don't want to say higher plane, but at a, a different place, you know, a place of love. The big book says, you know, on 86, 87, you know, <laughs> upon awakening, you know, and, and when I do that, that helps. I read Emmett Fox, you know, spiritual writers, spiritual readings, um, contemplation, meditation, breathing. I'm really fortunate, you know, that I've been put in a position where I get to like talk to new people, new newcomers. You know, I, I do groups like every morning at, at my job with people that are just coming in, getting clean, telling their life stories. We do check-ins, you know, about like, did you talk to your sponsor? You talked to contacts. What are you feeling today? Physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I'm able to do this little deep breathing exercise with them and the mood changes. 
the mood changes. It's just like, be here now. That shit sounds and, really hard. Do you have anything easier? Huh? Ain't nothing <laughs> hard about that, man. It's like, <laughs> and, and it's free. It's free. It's, yeah. All right. Well, then I'll take two. Yeah. <laughs> Baker's dozen, brother. There you go. Yeah, I mean, it's it's no secret. I mean, that's just the things that I've been taught, and it it truly helps. But it it's not just one thing. It's it's many things, you know, and, and helping others, being there to hear, to listen, to look for the love in someone's eyes, you know, to look past the pain and maybe give them a little bit. It's just like amazing. I shared this in a meeting a couple of days ago. I was uh, sitting at my office, just looking at social media, commenting on social media, doom scrolling, if you will, you know, just going, you know, not avoiding work, avoiding all the shit that I'm supposed to be doing. I looked at my, I looked at my phone. And I was like, God, I've been doing this for an hour. I should really get back to work. Like I've got important shit that needs to be done today. Go went back to, you know, scrolling and commenting and scrolling and commenting and another hour goes by and I'm like fuck I really really need to get out of myself like my my head's in the wrong place and I've got work that needs to get done and um I was about to go back to Instagram and get a text message from an old friend of mine says hey man do you have a few minutes to talk I need some help I was like I said sure what's up and he goes into the story and he just you know it was a 12-step call and I was like man this is the perfect distraction and you know, probably spent a half an hour on the phone with him and felt like myself again. You know, I felt like, uh, you know, useful and not angry and, and, and all the good stuff that I was looking for was right there. And I just needed, I needed somebody to reach out. I didn't have the headspace to realize that I should, you know, if I'm feeling like that, I should be reaching out. So I was really grateful for that. But you didn't have to reach out because it came to you. How Correct. cool. Is How cool is that? Synchronicity. Yeah. Yep. synchronicity i think not <laughs> you know it just exactly. works exactly exactly so it just works it just works what do they say it, it works if you look it <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> perfect yeah. But, that uh, was a nice segue. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Wookie <laughs> world. Wookie world. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, we uh we gotta get going. Uh yeah. everybody a chance to listen to your share. Lefty, I can't thank you enough for being here and for spreading your message and giving it to us, you know, raw and unfiltered and you know, exactly the way that we like it. I appreciate you. Thank you. And uh Benji, I love you, man. And I, I want you to know it is truly an honor. An honor, man. And just an honor to see and hear you again. You don't know, you and Sarah, you touched my life. You really did. You you guys were like there for me and with me, you know? And you're still here. <laughs> you're still here. I love you so much. Thank you. I love you too, man. And Mike O too, okay? And, and Mike you, O too. You betcha. <laughs> I love well, the shit out of him. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to tell him that you said that, and we'll find out whether or not he's listening to this episode. Because if he is, he should text you and me together and be like, I love you too, bro. And if he doesn't text it, we know he's not fucking listening, and we're going to give him some shit about that. Uh, we just love him anyway. It's good. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll love him either way, but we'll give him some shit. Uh, Thank you so much for being here today and and last night it truly was awesome to hear your story and to get a chance to chat today i love hearing 
about other people's experience. And it's just, it's been beautiful. And uh, with that, on with the show. On with the show. On with the show. A little bit about our speaker. Lefty, a.k.a. Mike, a.k.a. Lefty, I don't think anybody calls him Mike, is an old friend, somebody that I've known for almost 15 years. We met, I believe, at Rothbury for the first time, but uh, have crossed paths at uh, many shows over the years. And, you know, when they talk about in the rooms, look for somebody who has what you want. Uh, Lefty has what I want, which is calmness and serenity and a way to deliver a smile, even uh, in some in some rocky terrain. So... Uh, you know, when, when Lefty speaks, I listen and uh, he just celebrated 34 years. And that is a fucking miracle because by all <laughs> reasonable nature, uh, Lefty probably shouldn't be here today. So, uh, you know, I'm grateful that he is. I'm grateful that he's uh, still sharing the message and I'm grateful that he's sharing the message here with us tonight. So um, before I hand the room over to you, Lefty, we have a tradition of uh, asking everybody to unmute and uh, we're going to tell you how much we love you. So you guys know the drill here. Three, two, one. We love you, Lefty. I love you, Lefty. Thanks for coming, buddy. You are the best. Thanks, man. Mad love. Thank you all. And with that, my friend, the uh, the room is yours. Well, thank you, Benji. I'm, I'm truly humbled and, and honored to be here. Thank you. I remember meeting you, Benji, and it's truly, it was my honor to meet you. And your sister. <laughs> it was such a wonderful time, Rothbury. Um, so, hi everybody. I'm Lefty, and I'm uh, I qualify. How's that for many many things? Um, I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a war frat. I, I remember at Rothbury we were struggling because we had like the war frats, Chris Phil. We had uh, Gateway because we had like widespread. Uh, Trey was there, I think. I mean, we had like multiple, Mo was there. So we had all this, whose banner do we fly? So we were hanging like four fucking banners. <laughs> and we settled on, let's just call ourselves yellow balloon, yellow balloons, you know? So I am lefty, I'm a yellow balloon guy. <laughs> and um, that's, I guess, my introduction. Um, the, the truth is, I never wanted to, I, I never planned to live this long, you know, I, um, I never planned to live past 18. I um, grew up in a home in Ohio and like in the Midwest and, you know, a family that was living above their means, you know, keeping up with their neighbors and typical, you know, very typical uh, sister, a couple years older than me. She had blonde hair, blue eyes, um, cheerleader homecoming queen all that did homework um i was not that kind of an achiever <laughs> and i lived sort of under this uh you're linda's brother and i never wanted to be linda brother linda's brother and um if you can i guess imagine the time i was born in 1957 so through the 60s um i experienced a lot and developmentally, you know, as teenagers are, or 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, they're beginning to question things. And, you know, and what I was seeing on television at the time was uh, mass riots, civil rights, women's rights, um, 
crazy things. Vietnam War, I mean, massive, massive change things, agents of change everywhere. And I was the kid that um, didn't feel like he fit in. You know, I studied science fiction, you know, I, you know, I was interested in all things beyond. I guess I was a spiritual seeker then. And anyway, um, they had the anti-drug campaign at the time. Um, you remember the frying egg thing, I'm sure, you know, this is your brain, because that was the most popular one. Well, the one I saw in, in probably 1969 was two guys sitting in a smoky room with crazy long hair. And, and I remember this, at least my memory says this, one man pointing at the ceiling going, wow, man, there's a paisley print dog walking on the ceiling, barking daisies at me. And you know what? That didn't scare me. That inspired me. I said, I got to get some of this stuff. So my family went on this little mini vacation to these, you know, resort cabins. And okay, back then they had pinball machines. <laughs> so here at the marina, I went to play pinball. And there's these guys standing around playing pinball. And they looked like those guys on that commercial. So I started bugging them and bugging them and bugging them. And guess what? Eventually they broke down. And that was my first experience with drugs um, of any kind. And, you know, it was um, transformational because at that point, I felt like I belonged. I felt like I had a purpose. I felt like I had a place that I fit somehow in this universe that made no sense. So, of course, I was going to do it again. You know, we got back home. I noticed, wow, out in front of the courthouse, <laughs> there's these guys hanging out that look kind of like that too. So I started going there every chance I got. So by the time I was 15 years old, I was uh, a fixture <laughs> hanging out at that courthouse with these guys, you know, all of them much older than me. Um, and it wasn't just guys. I mean, it was women too. Um, alcohol. I tried to drink, but it made me puke, you know, I, did, I wasn't a big fan. However, there was a biker bar, you know, by the Outlaws Motorcycle Club right across the street over there. So I would go over there sometimes because I was fascinated, you know, because by this time I had developed this hero worship for uh, Charlie Manson and uh, Sonny Barger from the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club because they took in people that nobody else wanted. That was it. It wasn't like I wanted to be a badass or a murderer. Uh, I wanted to be loved. I wanted to fit. And these were people that somehow had families or, or so they called them. And that was my connection with the hippie community. Um, I went to treatment because I got busted for marijuana and it was a felony. And um, I didn't want to go to kitty prison and the United States Army said they wouldn't take me because they had enough drug addicts. So I went to treatment um, and I lasted most of the treatment stay and got in trouble because they had rules and I broke them. Um, so I left treatment at 16 and I hitchhiked out to Watkins Glen, New York and that was my introduction to the Grateful Dead.
and that was 1973, and The Grateful Dead was the opening act. And it was The Grateful Dead, the band, and the Allman Brothers, and I would be lying if I said I remembered it, because I don't. My memory was be everybody, in my eyes, being naked and dropping acid, and um, who knows whose clothes I wore, <laughs> but I wore something because I made it home eventually. Um, I, I ran away from home a lot, um, returned home. I traveled across the country. I hitchhiked to Florida a bunch of times, hitchhiked to Detroit a few times, hitchhiked to Toledo a few times. Um, every year in school, I, they moved me ahead. You know, I, I mean, I didn't finish one year, um, but they moved me ahead anyway. Uh, my senior year, the principal asked me to quit, so I did, um, because it seemed like the thing to do. Um, I married the sheriff's daughter because uh, I got her pregnant, and the story behind that, um, I had gone to school one time after ODing at a concert, um, taking way, way too much of uh some very, very strong LSD and thought I could talk. I mean, I thought I was communicating with people, but I was telecommunicating, <laughs> but no, I wasn't. But people were like asking me what's wrong. And I was like talking to them without saying a word. And they took me to a doctor and drew blood. And I found out what they were doing. And I broke things in the doctor's office. They called the sheriff's department. He picked me up took me to the state hospital where they kept me for 30 days. And that's when I was 17. Um, I then met his daughter shortly after that. And he saw us together, told her she couldn't see me, which made me the man of her dreams. So we got pregnant and I married her. We had a beautiful daughter named Charity. I'll just fast forward through all that. I mean, that was a, a good time and a bad time. I was a great stay-at-home dad, but I was not really there because I was doing a lot of drugs and selling drugs, and um, I was there. I mean, I'd play with her, but I was really very much not there because I was under the influence most of the time. My, um, I had a friend that would, uh, was in a band, and he called me and said his band was playing a local bar. I went and uh, hung out with him they to run lights for him and that became my career I uh, started running lights with little bands and little bars and moved my way through um, somehow but as the way that played out I mean I, I worked for a band got to a better playing band and I was with a band that uh, out of Toledo Ohio we were playing in Indianapolis and uh, or Fort Wayne, I don't know, but either way, that's west. But my cocaine dealer was east, and I had their truck. I went over to the cocaine dealer, and I ended up showing up a day late for the gig. And I had their truck. They couldn't play. They got fired. They made me unload everything in the parking lot. The uh, club owner said, wow, is that your stuff? And I said, yeah. He said, I need a light show. Here's my, my ego. Who's playing? <laughs> like, what was I going to do, you know? But anyway, it was Stevie Ray Vaughan. So, uh, boom, I moved from one layer to another layer. And um, that's just the way that played out for me. I, I had a, a 
lot of breaks in there. And I got out of that business. Um, oh, I'll tell you one more quick story about that. I, I was working for Eddie Money and uh, we were, uh, I don't remember where we were, but we were playing and this guy comes up and this was like 1986, 84, maybe, I don't know. This guy comes up and he goes, wow, man, is that yours? And I said, yeah. He said, we're here tomorrow night. Can you, can you stick around? And I'm like, well, who are you? You know, and he whips around his shiny satin jacket. They all had shiny satin jackets, you know, at that time. And I looked at that thing. And I said, I ain't working for no country bumpkin motherfucker. And it was Alabama. <laughs> and they made it that year. Like, you know, and I didn't. Because like a year, maybe two years later, I was doing county fairs in Wisconsin with the Judds. <laughs> and Donnie Osman. <laughs> And anyway, that was my lighting career. I ended up just like quitting that because I came home off the road, found out that my wife um, was seeing someone else and I couldn't have that, you know, so because I was such a good husband and a good father, I wasn't. Alcohol and drugs took me, took me, uh, took me where I never, ever, ever, ever dreamed I would be, ever. I, I neglected the woman I thought I loved and inducted the child that I was given, you know, the opportunity to be a father for. Um, and then we divorced and it things only got worse for me. I, uh, I, I continued using and using lots of coke and drinking. Um, I attempted suicide. I mean, I took a car after the divorce. I, I got angry and drunk for three days and doing the coke and I took a car as fast as it go and cut the wheel and it rolled over multiple times my arm was pulled up behind me and nerves pulled out of my spine head cracked open multiple injuries I was in the hospital for a long time laying in the hospital I'm like what are you going to do you're a high school dropout there's not much call for a crippled roadie I mean even uh, Def Leppard's drummer had two arms you know I mean it was like <laughs> It was a different time, you know, so it was like, what are you going to do? I remembered when I was in treatment, I kind of liked that recovering guy, counselor. <laughs> and I figured I know more about alcohol and drugs than anybody I know. And uh, I really do need to quit. So I'll just be a counselor. That's what I'll do. So got out of the hospital after 30 days, uh, got a government agency to send me to college. I began counseling. Um, now, I didn't quit using. I tried. I tried. I can't tell you multiple times how many times through those years I went to AA and didn't listen. What I did was I compared. I didn't relate. I said, man, that guy, he drank a lot. <laughs> I don't drink like that. You know, I always thought like an alcoholic was uh, was like Otis on Andy and Mayberry, you know? <laughs> He had to look like that, the trench coat, the no shoes, that match, whatever. I, I didn't mind being a drug addict. Jim Morrison was a drug addict. You know, Jimi Hendrix was a drug addict. You know, they they were guys that I could look up to. So I, I didn't mind that, but I wasn't going to be no damn alcoholic. Well, I eventually um, had gone, I, I was, at, I actually was a counselor in one town and Seeing my kid in the other town, I had a little place that I went to. 
I had kept. And in this other town where I'd go see my daughter every weekend, I would relapse. So when I was there in November of 1989, I uh, went to the bar and uh, ran into a friend who I had have to, happened to help spend about $40,000. And his wife walked in and saw us together and she got really angry and grabbed him by the ear, started marching him out, threw me his car keys, and I just laughed. And so I jumped in his car, I drove his car, following her through town and the light turned yellow and she thought meant yellow meant uh, stop. I thought yellow meant go fast. So I crashed his car into her car. And all I could do was yell out the window, get going. I don't have a driver's license. It was sad, sad. We went to their house, she threw him out. I remember seeing his children standing in the front yard crying as she threw him out. We went to the bar and we were drinking, 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 drinking. And the barmaid leaned across the bar and she looked at me and she said, Mike, there's a meeting down the street here tomorrow night. I think you probably ought to go. When a barmaid tells you you should probably go to AA, you should probably go to AA. <laughs> it was awful. It was awful. Now I'm crying, you know, because I'm not just a puker, I'm a crier. So I, I cried and he and I decided we'd go, to, yeah, go together to AA and we switched to Pepsi. And within a few hours, two girls walked up with a little vial of Coke and said, psst, psst. and I didn't go. I watched him go. He walked out with them. I watched him in the mirror. I went home that night, then immediately home alone. I fell to my knees, hopeless, but hopeful and said, God, help me. I can't do this. That was November 21st, 1989, and I have not had a drink or a drug since then. Through the grace of God and through the support, I went to that meeting the next night, and I went to the meeting after that. I found these guys in meetings, man, that were wearing leather jackets and, and patches on the back, and I thought, what the hell are they doing here? They gave me the name Lefty. They adopted me. They got me an old Harley three-wheeler. It was a club called Fifth Chapter. They had a charter up there in Flint. You know, I know a bunch of those guys, Rooster, the Beer Brothers. Anyway, like they adopted me. They gave me the name Lefty to teach me humility. They didn't. It gave me an identity, you know, and I, I rode with them. I still went to shows. I was the only biker with dancing bears on the front of his jacket. <laughs> and I caught shit for that regularly, but that's okay. They accepted me, you know. Um, that disbanded in the Midwest like in 1994, maybe, I don't know. But the year before that, I was voted brother of the year out of 2000. Un-freaking-believable. Un-freaking-believable. Because I ain't nothing, man. I, I, I'm just like a vessel and, and a servant. And I just try to do the next right thing. And that's all I've been doing. And... I found the war frats in 1989 um, <laughs> at Chrysler Arena, uh, <laughs> Chrysler Arena in Ann Arbor. And, and, Ann Arbor. and um, the amazing thing there was I found the war frats and I was at that show with a bunch of people tripping and I wasn't. And that night things transformed for me because when the band played, you know, I love when I fade away. 
everybody clapping and singing that. I'll tell you what, man, there was something magical, something magical. I felt then and there, I no longer needed substances in order to attain this level of consciousness that, that I'd been seeking, this level of consciousness, which just meant I felt love. I felt like I belonged. I felt like I was part of something. And that's where I got hooked on the wharf rats and the yellow balloons. <laughs> and that and that fifth chapter motorcycle club, those were my pathways into 12-step communities because that's how I found my way in. I stayed a counselor. Um, I've had some great jobs. I've had some not so great jobs, but that's my job. If you talk to me in a professional setting, you know me as mine. If you talk to me in any other setting, I'm lefty because that's how I'm able to be. I'm not a professional alcoholic. <laughs> I wasn't very good at it. I'm not a professional drug addict. I wasn't real good at that. But you know what? This sober thing, I'm getting better at it. I'm getting better at it because I keep practicing. <laughs> and I'm going to keep practicing. And, and for me, the real key is just about trying to help others and to try my best to keep my side of the street clean. You know, there's a, step, a set of steps, 12 of them, that are a spiritual pathway to help me attain to be and to be in the moment and to feel the love that's here. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. I found that you with, with you, Benji, with your sister, with, with Sarah. I found that with Michael. I found that, you know, with the community. I find it in AA. I have a sponsor and I sponsor people. Um, I did some stuff with a Native American group called White Bison. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of paths. I've done stuff with refuge recovery. The message is the same. It's a spiritual, a spiritual malady, you know? And thank God we got this together, all of us. So thank you so much for allowing me to be here, to be a part of this. And um, y'all said it to me, I'm saying it back. I love you. Hey, I gotta tell you real quick, okay? I was like almost, almost like getting a divorce. I mean, it was like, ah, oh, my life is over again in recovery. So here I am working a sober table somewhere in Indiana, I think. And I'm like sitting at the table like, Somebody else is going to have to do the meeting, man. I'm too shook up. You know, I'm just going to sit here and feel sorry for myself. And all of a sudden, I hear like a hundred people in this circle go, We love you, Lefty. <laughs> That's how it works, man. I couldn't do it. I couldn't feel sorry for myself. There was HP and all of us. It works. Thank you. Thank you, Lefty. I, uh, I love that. Rooms open if anybody wants to share. I'll share real quick. Lefty, that was awesome, man. Thank you for being here and thanks for sharing that. I love it when someone who's got a lot of 24 hours behind them who comes in and shares and the story is insane. You know, a, a lot of the stuff you shared about your life has happened to me. And I just want to thank you for being one of those people who came before me and, you know, who shows people like me the way. So thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, man. I'm Hannah. I'm a drug addict and an alcoholic. Lefty, 
this is my first exposure to you. And I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story. There was a lot that resonated um, specifically when you talked about like that first feeling of belonging of the first time you took drugs that for me, I, I'm also the younger sibling of somebody who I was constantly in their shadow and would have liked to be anywhere else, but in that shadow. And was really singled out in school and was, I just struggled so much. And my family was, you know, had its own set of challenges as everyone does. But that first time of being like, oh, this is it. This is the, this is what I've been looking for. And that, that hole that can only be filled with, you know, spiritual practices and connection. Um, And I love so much of your story was really, really inspiring, but um, specifically just your message on just being another person doing the next right thing. I think that that is just, it's really inspiring. And it is like when we break it down to the basics and then you do wake up one day with like this incredible community and sense of belonging and sense of purpose that really comes from, you know, showing up and just doing the next right thing. So I really appreciate you being here tonight and for sharing your story with all of us. Thanks. Uh, Lefty. Um... I love you, man. I'm really glad that you were here tonight. You're the uh, you're the person that I need to hear. Um, I, I love that story that you shared about uh, talking shit about Alabama um, as a lighting guy. I'm not gonna work with some fucking. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I know how you feel. You know, just, just talking shit about a band. You know, because 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 you're a drunk who's got a, a an opinion. And uh, an being <laughs> an ego, an opinion, and an ego, and, and just being fucking as wrong as you could possibly be, you know. So, and even if you're right, you're wrong, you know. So, anyway, uh, yeah, I love you, man. Um, Dustin, alcoholic, uh, addict, lefty. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, you sharing your story tonight. I was about ten minutes late, unfortunately. Um, I'll. I'm going to definitely have to go back and listen to this podcast. Uh, I really liked what you had to say. I feel like, uh, I feel like you have a lot of stories to tell. <laughs> I, I wish I knew you and go get coffee and listen to some of them. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I could relate to a lot, uh, namely like uh, the whole, like comparing uh, yourself to other alcoholics. Um toward the end of my drinking career or really most of my drinking career, I compared myself. I always thought that I was not an alcoholic. My idea of the alcoholic was someone that kept a, a bottle of gin under their bed and, um, and, you know, couldn't make it an hour without having a drink and I could go a day without having a drink. And I was a beer drinker for most of my career. And, um, so I didn't necessarily think that I was, you know, an alcoholic. I didn't, I didn't know what an alcoholic was. Um, I, I hit a rock bottom, a rock bottom for me to stop drinking. And then I did start going to AA. And even then I was comparing myself to the people in the room and, you know, not only about like my drinking, just everything. Like I, I, I felt like I wasn't, I didn't belong there and I wasn't uh, one of them. And uh, like you said, it, it wasn't, you know, I, I went a few years uh, before coming back into AA, uh, and my life was a miserable wreck still, like, the only 
the only thing only thing different was uh, I wasn't drinking alcohol anymore. Um, but I actually start like you said, started listening and um and when I you know, when I started listening to the people in the rooms, um I learned that I was exactly like everyone in there and uh, I was an alcoholic and um and um that just opened the door to recovery for me and um and I'm still I, I've stuck with it and still continue to work a program of AA um to this day um so yeah I don't know uh yeah thank you so much for your sh uh, sh uh story tonight hey everyone Amy food addict fell um hi everyone um lefty thanks for talking um uh giving your your story to us um I've never heard you before either um but hearing the longevity that you have in the program makes me feel good knowing that I can do this too and keep going. So um, that's pretty much it. I'm burned out from the holiday. So um, but it was good seeing everybody. Thanks. Thank you. Hey, Benji. Yes, sir. I got to say one more thing. Okay. When I, when I, you know, went into AA one of those times, like I got kicked out because they had like, you must announce yourself as an alcoholic. And they kicked me out because I said, I'm Mike Durham, I'm a cocaine addict. <laughs> and uh, when I did get clean, I went to AANACA, DAA. And eventually I was at a CA meeting, like a, a big speaker CA meeting. And the guy that got up to speak, they called him Cocaine Dave. And he said, hi, everybody. My name's Cocaine Dave. And I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and he picked up a big book and he said, this book describes the disease of spiritual malady. And you know what? I've been calling myself an alcoholic ever since because that terminal uniqueness just kept me separate. <laughs> I don't need that. We had the same solution, you know? So I just needed to say that because I was thinking that really. And you know, that DAA, I call it dumbass anonymous. <laughs> All right, thank you. Thanks, man. That's great. I do the same thing where uh, I, you know, I there were plenty of other substances other than alcohol that uh, that flowed through these veins, but uh, I just keep it simple. Uh, we have a tradition of closing out this meeting with holding hands with the person in the box next to us, and uh, you want to take us out, Lefty, with whichever prayer works for you. Creator, thank you for bringing us together today and uh, grant us the serenity to accept, to the, accept things the things we, we cannot change, the courage, courage to change, to change the things we can, and the, and the wisdom, wisdom to know the difference. So be it. Oh. Thank you, brother. Much love. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lefty. Love you guys. Thanks so much. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Thank you. I'll see you too. Thank you. Thanks.